everyone and welcome to the next edition of our VTX podcast. As always at VTX we're asking what are you thinking and this week we are thinking about the use of terazomide in the treatment of congestive heart failure and we'll also be talking to the co-founder of VTX Liz. As always, our producer Karen is here to keep mostly me on track. Let's start at the beginning then. So where did you um, where did you graduate from vet school? I graduated from Liverpool um, in 2006. Did you know what kind of direction you wanted to go in at that stage? I was fairly convinced that I thought I should probably go into mixed practice because I'd, uh, I was worried that I'd lose all the skills that I'd learned at vet school but then soon realised that mixed practice definitely wasn't for me. And what what was the moment that you realised it wasn't for you? Probably on day one. <laughs> <laughs> like day one, cow one. <laughs> when I had to go and see a downer cow. Well, it was a oh, down, um, it was a down bullock. And I got there and within about 10 minutes it died. And then <laughs> the farmer had uh, not so many nice words for me. And I think that just put me off. I think it's really tough. I think it's funny. Um, it's always interesting to know how pe- you know people's expectations when they come out of vet school, and kind of what they want to do, and how actually it often takes a very different kind of direction, doesn't it? Yeah. How long? How long did you stay in mixed practice for then? Eleven months. And okay, that's quite good. I wanted to be an equine vet at the time, so okay. obviously now I'm a cardiologist in small animal, <laughs> small animal medicine in a dark room don't see the lights yeah definitely don't see any horses so it's changed quite a lot what did you do after that first period in um, mixed practice then so then I went to do an internship I think I enjoyed my first year in mixed practice and I was actually in a really good practice had some great nurses um but I think I knew anyway really that I would want to specialize eventually okay. and actually I wanted more experience I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do in terms of small animals versus equine. And at the time, the University of Cambridge offered a mixed uh, internship with equine farm and small animals. Oh, I didn't realise that. So you did. Oh, that's interesting. So your internship was actually all of those things. Yeah. Oh, right. But not very much farm. As we've already discussed, (laughs) farm wasn't my forte. But that's really interesting. There we go. Not that I know everything about Liz, but that I did not know that that was a thing. So that's really interesting. Actually, the the internship is probably one of the most beneficial things I think I've done in terms of giving me confidence in my as a new graduate. Yeah. And I, I think also there's something quite cool, I think, about doing an internship in Cambridge. Like, I just think it's a really cool place and an amazing, an amazing university. Like I, I was there actually, not now obviously with lockdown, but last year visiting two people that I graduated vet school with. One of them lives in Cambridge now. And I've never really been before properly. Going down the river in these, what do you call them, punts or whatever. And literally just mesmerised by the fact that the most amazing buildings are on either side and people like students live in there. Like I was like, what What do they do in that building? And they're like, that's where students live. I was like, that cannot, it's like Hogwarts, that cannot be real. It's, like Hogwarts, it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's also very dry. So compared to Manchester, it doesn't rain that much. Oh, listen, compared, like, compared to Glasgow and Edinburgh, then I'm sure it's 
pretty arid. Yeah. So that's really cool. So did you get to the end of that year and then think that that you knew then what you were going to do? Yeah. So then I think by that time I realised I didn't want to do equine either. Um, that I, at the time I rode quite, horses quite a lot, so I didn't want to. I preferred to keep that as a hobby, and I couldn't see myself at sixty wrestling with horses. So, and at the time, cardiology was something that had definitely I'd grown more and more interested in. So, a couple of residencies came up, which I applied for, and then and didn't get a look in. But around the same time, one of our neighbours, well, one of my parents' neighbours, who was a farm vet at Leehurst knew of a cardiology group at the University of Manchester that I approached so I just sent a random email to this professor Professor David Eisner at the University of Manchester just saying that I was interested in doing a PhD and then before I knew it I was doing a PhD in his lab. So you didn't actually apply for like a PhD that was in an ad, a PhD advert you literally just emailed this guy and was like so I really want to do this. Hello <laughs> yeah basically. <laughs> That's crazy. That was a good, you enjoyed doing the PhD, that was a good thing, do you think, as, as far as your career and your development? Loved my PhD. The lab was amazing, the University of Manchester, Manchester's amazing. Yeah, no, I think there is something about that as well, though, I think the, the kind of student vibe of it, you know, I think is, um, there's nothing quite like that, like, I think there's something quite care, there, not that being a PhD student is carefree, but there's something carefree about being a student and that yeah. regardless of what you're studying I think it's just a nice feeling. I would do it all again tomorrow if I could. There's a really good reason that I'm afraid Liz you will not be doing it again tomorrow and that is that you're literally about to have a baby. <laughs> 37 weeks pregnant. <laughs> I suppose there's no reason that we can't do this um, while you're um, doing whatever you do with babies. <laughs> what? Listen, you'll literally want to push it back in. Um, so then, <laughs> wait till they're four and five. Oh no, there's only one of them. Oh, there might be two. Imagine there was two and you just didn't know. That ha- that's a thing though. Some people. Is it? <laughs> Is that not? What? The people don't know they're having twins. I'm sure that was on an episode of Dr. Phil. I think that's a thing. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> <I think> one. <laughs> How did you guys meet? Like, do you remember the moment that you met each other? Vividly, <laughs> vividly. And it's really, so I don't know if you always remember, I don't know if you always remember the moment you met, obviously everyone that you've met in your life, but I genuinely vividly remember because I just thought, she's really boring. <laughs> yes, I thought I was miserable. Not boring is the wrong word. Just really like, I don't know, really <laughs> quite professional. Yeah, quite kind of, as in, no, I didn't mean that. No, you're not good at this. It was a, she was just very kind of like, kind of a bit stern and serious. And I was like. I just started a residency and you have all of these expectations to live up to. And Scott Kilpatrick was already a second year resident, maybe at that time. So I had all of this wealth of knowledge and I knew nothing. And I started on medicine, not even cardiology. So I was very um, aware that, you know, you have sort of this imposter syndrome, don't you? That you think that you might not deserve to be in the place that you are it's really funny you say that though because actually the opposite for me so there was a lot of hype about very valid hype about you coming in because you know you had this amazing PhD and actually I probably felt like we were to kind of like bow down and be like oh god Liz look she's so clever and you know so I think it's funny how you I think everyone has an element of that don't they because we've all got and I think this becomes very apparent through residencies in a good way everyone's got different strengths and you know we can definitely 
by the end of it you're all just kind of clubbed together and helping each other i couldn't agree more i think probably one of the best things that came out of those three years for me were the friendships that we developed and how much fun we had because i think you develop a really strong relationship with all your other residents. We did. You know, partly as a coping strategy, I think, because it is a stressful situation to be in um, sometimes. Yeah, but even that heinous revision period before multiple exams yeah. was was more fun because we kind of... I remember a lot of gin. Yeah, I mean, that features. But that's true, though. Gin and the night manager. I mean, what more could you want? Not very much, actually. <laughs> what else is that? <laughs> You've firmly made up for calling Liz boring now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so welcome to our next edition of Desert Island Drugs. In this segment of the show, we are asking which one of a selection of drugs you would choose to take with you to a desert island and save from the waves. So you can only choose one of our options. In today's edition, uh, we're going to be talking to Liz about some drugs that we would use for the treatment of congestive heart failure. And so Liz, if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only save one of these three drugs from the waves in order to treat congestive heart failure, which one would it be? So your options are fruzamide, terazamide or spironolactone. So I w definitely wouldn't be saving spironolactone from the waves. Mostly because we know it's a weak diuretic, so people remember that it works um, at the distal convoluted tubule or collecting duct. And so because it works towards the end of the nephron, it's a far weaker diuretic. Although the data in people would suggest that people do better if they're given spironolactone, we've, only, we've got very limited evidence in dogs and cats for that. So that would be my third choice. Fruzamide, people might be surprised that I probably wouldn't choose fruzamide to save from the waves because although it's a very good diuretic and we're all very used to using it, in human medicine at least, it looks like teracemide is going to be the superhero of the future. So in various studies, people with teracemide um, or on teracemide with heart failure survive for longer periods of time and have less hospitalizations than they do if they were receiving fruzamide. Teracemide's once daily, generally, you can use it twice daily. Um, so has that benefits for owner compliance and also has some anti-aldosterone effects which might be beneficial in cats and dogs. So my choice of those three would be teracemide. Thanks so much for bringing that to us Liz. For even more information on teracemide then head over to the webinar section of our website www.vtx-cpd.com for a journal club on that exact topic. Next week, we have a very special guest, my great friend Spila from the University of Edinburgh. She is a specialist in small animal oncology. It's gonna be my opportunity to ask some of the questions that I need answering regarding the management of some of her cases. And excitingly, she will also be bringing us the next edition of our Desert Island Drugs. As always, we want to thank you all so much for your support. Head over to our website for more information about what we're doing. And remember to like, follow and share on our social media platforms. See you next week.